Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Today we are talking with singer-songwriter Grace Gostad. Grace made a huge splash on the music scene in 2016 with her viral cover of Hosier's hit song, Take Me to Church, which got millions of views and made people take notice of Grace's singing and musical talent. And when Grace started writing original material, people started really taking notice of her songwriting ability as well. In 2019, she released her EP, Human, with reviews saying that she tapped into that elusive, organic formula of the human heart that is the recipe for enduring pop songs with the power to connect and resonate across generations. That is an awesome review. Then in 2021, she released another EP, Welcome to Jupiter 1.0, leading to more rave reviews, calling her a fantastic, thoughtful, and introspective songwriter. Now Grace is taking things to the next level. Not only has she released her first full-length album called Black Box, What Are You Hiding?, but the album is released in conjunction with the launch of Grace's nonprofit organization, The Black Box Project. This project focuses on the mental health issues facing teens. This album includes her song 93 Days that focuses on seeking therapy after trauma. Check out the video for the song, which features none other than Mariska Hargitay of Law & Order SVU. And check out all of Grace's music and information about the Black Box Project at gracegaustad.com. Now on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And in line with Grace's Black Box Project, we talk about a very difficult issue that teens often face, which is bullying. Grace particularly talks about being bullied because of her sexuality. She explains how anti-LGBTQ bullying contributed to her falling into a deep depression. And we talk about the meaning of the term black box, which is the notion that most people face stressful and traumatic issues such as bullying and mental illness alone and in isolation. We struggle in secret. In part because of the stigma of mental illness, we assume, often rightly so, that we will be harmed emotionally, socially, financially, even physically, if we share our story. And people don't often check in on what's going on with us until we have a catastrophic event or we struggle with our daily functioning. Grace explains how just like when there is an airplane crash and we then investigate the black box that explains what was happening and what went wrong, we then begin to try to figure out what's going on with ourselves or others. And her project is designed to help people start looking inward before a big crash, before a catastrophe. And Grace talks about the work that she does personally on a regular basis for her mental health, such as focusing on helping others or working on her craft as a songwriter, musician, and performer to help her with her own well-being. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. On the Consequence website and wherever you find these episodes, you'll also find a short questionnaire. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions you have that have been sparked by our conversations with these incredible artists, and topics you'd love to see addressed. We incorporate these responses into episodes, as well as a monthly column called Ask Dr. Mike on the Consequence website. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so they can go there with us. 
And also, if you have a chance, the Timeless Podcast Company presents a powerful new series, Breaking Anonymity, where artists sit down to discuss their personal struggles with addiction, substance abuse, and recovery. So join hosts MC Search and Kyle Eustace as they share their own experience, strength, and hope while having thoughtful conversations with other addicts from across the music and entertainment landscape. Catch Breaking Anonymity wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes dropping every Wednesday. So now, let's go there and listen to what Grace has to say. So Grace, welcome to Going There. Thank you so much for having me. I'm stoked. Yeah, no, me too. You are doing so many cool things in general, artistically, and also in the mental health space. And I want to get to all of it. So let's just start with the Black Box Project, which is the nonprofit that you started. The concept of of this idea of people have these unlocked issues that they're dealing with, I think is so cool. Let's talk about that, how you came up with it and what it does. So Black Box for me sort of came to me in the middle of the night when I was, almost at my 18th birthday. And I was thinking about what do I want to write for my debut album? Um, And I came up with this concept, Black Box, which um, in short, a black box is something that uh, an aircraft has in it. And when the aircraft crashes, they have this black box device, it's indestructible, and it holds all of this data that sort of tells you exactly why that plane crashed. And it sort of hit me right there that we as human beings um, have our own metaphorical black boxes inside of us that hold all the answers to our pain, our trauma, and nonetheless, our healing as well. Um, And so Black Box sort of came together as this linear story of the first 18 years of my life where I really went back and dissected um, all of the different things that I had gone through, um, you know, trauma that I had repressed for a long time. Um, Through creating the album, a lot of different things came up for me that I had to sort of work through and deal with. Um, And when I finished the album, I realized, you know, I had discussed so many important topics such as anxiety, depression, trauma, body dysmorphia. I mean, the list is sort of endless. Um, I was like, there's got to be a component to this to help other people, which is where we launched blackboxproject.org, which is a site that sort of offers resources. And um, we have an incredible therapist, Jazz Robbins, who... um, created 12 episodes for anyone struggling where she discusses all these topics um, and is really available for people who don't have the resources to go to a professional therapist on their own or things like that. Um, And blackboxproject.org is probably the most important part of the project for me because it feels like I'm able to give something back um, to, you know, just um, the world. And I, I think that as a musician, the only thing I've ever wanted is my art to reach people. And, um, you know, I want to help people as well. So the nonprofit sort of portion of this whole thing is really important to me. And I'm incredibly proud of um, what we accomplished with it. Yeah, it's so interesting the way you're describing the black box from an airplane. And one of the things that occurs to me is that you're right. You know, it's this thing that has all the answers but we never really look at it unless something goes wrong, which is kind of an odd, an odd pattern. Like in theory, we should be looking at things all the time, but we only look at it when there's a disaster and then we want to find out what's going on, which is very parallel to how we often do things in our emotional life. You know, we don't look inside to anything that's been happening unless there's some kind of disaster that we've just experienced. Yeah, no, it's, you're definitely right about that. I mean, it, it took me sort of as a human being kind of crashing and hitting that bottom, um, to write this project. You know, I had to go back to places I never wanted to go again in order to sort of, um, you know, make this thing as honest as possible. Um, but it's, it's very ironic because now after, you know, the project is written and, um, I have a greater appreciation um, for my own inner black box. And I find myself now asking myself um, just questions, um, you know, and really checking in with myself on a day-to-day basis about how I'm feeling as opposed to that whole thing. Let's wait until we crash and then we'll go back and figure it out. I, um, it's made me incredibly self-aware um, about just, you know, my own emotions and um, making sure that I'm taking care of myself. Do you mind if I ask just when you're talking about 
trauma, just whatever you're comfortable or not comfortable talking with, you know, trauma happens for people in so many different ways, but just how that, that manifested for you and what your experience of it was. So I was really, really bullied in school um, almost my entire life, probably starting um, in the third or fourth grade, continuing through high school. Um, It got more vicious as the years went on. Um, You know, it started off as kind of the typical mean girl thing. You can't sit with us. You know, you're ugly, you're fat, you're this or that, the other. Um, But by the time I got to high school, it turned into something um, far more vicious, which was, you know, it was attacking my sexuality. When I was 14, um, I had a girlfriend who was three or four years older than me. Um, looking back now, I realize that that probably um, in itself caused a lot of problems, but um, a lot of kids at school were super, super mean. And for whatever reason, and I, you know, God, it's it's hard to it's hard to know why people are so cruel about some things. Um, I, I think it's it's a hard one to figure out. But for me, there was such a difference between someone calling me, you know, ugly or telling me I can't sit with them, and then them attacking something that I fundamentally cannot change about myself. That's where I really started to struggle when they started attacking my identity, and I was like, oh my god, I I can't do anything about this. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, someone can call you fat and ugly. And most of us, you know, go through puberty and we grow into ourselves and that sort of passes. And, but, you know, the sexuality piece was really hard for me. And I I called every name in the book. Um, and I think years of torment really taught me, um, to sort of hate that part of myself. And I've had to learn over the last couple of years, how to, you know, love it again and, and love myself as a whole and not just sort of you know, cherry pick. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, that concept, um, and I don't, was it in the video of, of creature, the one where there were the two girls just sort of taunting you? Yes. Um, I, I, you know, I gotta tell you, like when I saw that, cause I, I live in a town where there's the rainbow symbol at the center of it. Yeah. My kids have grown up. They know people all, parts, sexuality, gender. And it's been so, it's been so nice, but I, I almost got to the point where I think I forgot in, in an un, unfortunate way that there's, when I was watching, I was like, wait, do people really do that? Like it was, it was so disturbing to watch. And then I remember I was like, God, you know, like, yeah, that, that there's people who have that story. And it was just, I was glad in some ways that it was so disturbing. I'm sorry that you went through it because it kind of reminded me, it's like, hey, this little nook of this little corner of the world that I'm in where, you know, people feel more protected is not the way it is everywhere. Um, But what I was watching was just so upsetting. And I I just kind of wanted to open that up to, you know, how much that reflected what you what you went through. And, you know, just because honestly, I was just it was a lot. So that exact scene um, is something that happened to me in high school. Um, It is, it wasn't scripted. It was something that I, you know, the two girls actually playing the mean girls in the black box, um, you know, video. It's ironic. One of them is my real life best friend, Ruby. And one of them is my real life girlfriend, Katie. Um, And, you know, I really sat down with them And I explained to them exactly, you know, what I went through in high school. And I put trust in both of them to sort of recreate um, on screen what that was like. Um, It was incredibly hard for me to sit through. I know it was incredibly hard for them to execute. Um, My mom was actually there that day watching the monitor and she had to leave because, um, you know, she was just so upset that that scene was real, you know. And can I tell you, thank you for telling me that because I, I was sitting there and I wanted to turn it off. I was, I was just, so I'm, I mean, I'm not glad that you went through it. I'm not glad that your mom was upset, but it's very validating to hear um, how it's just so, it's so disturbing because you ask yourself like, what, why on earth would someone want to do that? You know, if you have your own opinions to yourself, I, I guess, but, and I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, like just as you've gone through and, and seen and, and, and kind of studied, I guess, like the concept of bullying, just what, 
what you've come up with as to like, why on earth would someone do that to another human being? So it's, it's interesting you bring that up. There's a song on Black Box called um, Vaccine for Sympathy. It actually just came out last week. Um, and Vaccine for Sympathy is a song that sort of um, sympathizes with the bully because I'm a firm believer that nobody's born cruel, um, but they're made cruel. Um, and for me, I watched it happen. You know, the more I was tormented in school, the meaner I got, the harder I got. I sort of pushed people away. I became a very jaded person. And so I watched myself go from this very sort of um, fun, loving, energetic kid to super cold and, um, you know, mean and whatever, but only after people had shown sort of that side of themselves to me. Um, and I actually, I sat down, um, when I was about 18 with two of the girls who, um, were responsible for most of the bullying um, in high school. And it was so, it was so crazy to me um, to hear sort of their side of the story and to really um, for the first time hear how much they were going through as, as two people and how much pain, um, you know, they had inside. And it kind of forced me to ask myself this question, you know, how badly does someone else need to be hurting to hurt someone else, you know? Um, and I, I think that's really what I've come up with is just, I think bullying is a reflection of that person being treated really poorly. And therefore they start projecting that same hurt, um, onto other people. Obviously it's not an excuse, you know, no one should be unkind to anyone, um, but I do think that it's something we should look at um, and, and validate because I watched it happen to me. You know, I was like the nicest kid in the world and then I wasn't. So. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll talk about with, with people who I work with who struggle with bullying is that it's when, when there is a bullying experience, everybody who's involved has almost an imprint on them. There's the person who's bullied there's the bully, there's the bystanders who are letting it happen. And then in, in some cases, there's like an administration or like a higher order power that for whatever reason doesn't intervene in the right way or even accepts it to some degree. And one of the things that's very tough for people, I think, to, to understand is that whatever part of that spectrum you're on, whatever part of that story, all of it gets imprinted in your brain. You remember all of it and you start to think that the world is that way. Mm -hmm. you know? So if you, whether you're the bully, the person who's been bullied, people are just looking on or someone who just kind of didn't deal with it, whether a parent or a, you know, teachers or whatever, it gets in your, in your whole being that that's the way the world is. And from that perspective, it becomes a little bit more understandable why people would be frightened and scared and, and maybe want to lash out like that because, well, this is the world anyway. I might as well be the bully. Yeah, I think, um, you know, to bring it back to the album for a second, there's a song called um, Nightmare, which is the fifth track on the project. And it, it really is about exactly what you just said, you know, um, how do you stop being the person who gets hurt? You become the person who does the hurting. And that was sort of my low point because I figured, you know, I'm just working it through in my head and I'm like, okay, well, if I don't want these girls to attack me anymore, what can I do? I can become one of them. And I thought in my mind that was going to be the best defense. Um, the only thing that left me with was feeling horrible about myself and sort of looking in the mirror and being like, who are you? You know, what are you doing? This isn't someone I'm proud of anymore. Um, but it's definitely something that I think people um, resort to because it seems like it makes sense. You know, if you get on the side of the people who are sort of um, doing those things, it seems like some sort of false protection. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of the reason why it persists is because at first, it's it's real protection like I, i'm sure to some degree well i shouldn't say i'm sure I, I would wonder if to some degree once people saw that side of you if they were like oh you know maybe i i, I should think twice about getting on her bad side so part of the problem is is that it can work for a time but then you don't see the cost you don't realize that the ultimate effect of the bullying is not just the bad feelings that you have in a moment it's what kind of person do you become as a result of it? And yeah. that's, you know, and that's a very tough decision for someone who's being bullied 
to make if they even have the opportunity to think of it because it's like I don't, I don't want to keep having this happen to me but I don't want to I don't want to join that team yeah you know you're absolutely right I think for a while it does offer some form of protection um you know people um it's interesting. People um, like to test boundaries. And so sometimes when you um, sort of put on that very hard shell and, and you push back for the first time, um, it sort of scares people away. But, you know, for me, it was like, I couldn't look at myself any longer as that version and be like, this is someone I'm proud of. You know, I remember um, that time period in my life being a very angry one, a very sad one. Um even though the bullying had subsided for a minute, I just was very um, kind of disappointed in myself um, for, you know, what I was doing. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard and it's, it's, um, it's easy to want to sort of fall into uh, the trap of it all, um, but it's hard to, to not. So um, it's a double-edged sword for sure. And I think one of the most interesting things about, um, bullying in general is I sort of figured, okay, I'm going to get out of high school and it's going to stop. And (laughs) I almost think it's like, sometimes people never grow out of it. You know, I work with, you know, I'm 19 right now, but most of the people, um, I find myself surrounded by are in their, you know, um, late twenties, early thirties, even forties. Um, cause it's all the people I work with. Um, and I just think it's so interesting it, you know, I have a great team, but I've certainly had so many experiences where I'm like, wow, it doesn't really stop. You know, this is, this is, um, uh, human behavior. It's not just something that happens in high school. It, it continues out of high school too. Hi there. This is Dr. Mike Friedman from going there with Dr. Mike, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. After you check out the latest episode of my show, be sure to check out some of the other great programs on Consequence Podcast Network, including The Opus and Kyle Meredith With. Head to Consequence.net to listen to these podcasts and many great others. You know, and on that point, which I I think you're 100% right, and I wish I could sit here and tell you that, you know, when you get to be my age, like, oh, you know, that stuff goes away. And, and, and there is a little bit of that. I think that as time goes on and people have spent their lives being bullied in one way or another, there is a sense of it's, it's kind of much less quote unquote cool. Obviously it's never cool, but you, you can kind of get away with being cool in high school and being a bully because nobody really has caught on yet. Um, but even with the fact that it's not very cool, you, you see it in in the media you see it in the public there's still a lot of bullies and one of the things i'm kind of curious about is that you know in thinking about how this model sustains you know even bullying that is persistent only happens for a fraction of our life you know like so you only need to be pushed you 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 could be only pushed into a locker once and be bullied and that that lasts for about five seconds but what endures is is the feelings that you have about yourself you know that that kind of isolation that sense of like why me like like what is it about me that brings this in which then is part of how bullying and and you know bullies kind of develop over time i'm just kind of curious from your perspective like what you what you experienced of that like how did you handle that when that was first happening um unfortunately you know it started so young that i um it was hard to notice at first, you know, all I really knew when I was like in third or fourth grade is I was like, wow, I feel, you know, left out. That's, that's sort of all I could um, come up with at at that time in my life. And then it sort of progressively got worse. And, and by the time I was 13 or 14, where it really was getting very bad, I was like, wow, these, these girls, I mean, these people, they hate me for no reason, you know, and I, it made me question um, everything about myself. And, And like you said, you know, it's, it can happen one time. You can get pushed into that locker one time. It lasts for five seconds and you have this imprint for the rest of your life of, of that moment. So, you know, unfortunately for someone like me, um, it happened for years and it happened every day. Um, looking back now, I'm actually grateful for it because it gave me something to say. It gave me something to write about, to sing about, um, and to be sort of, um, 
an advocate for. Um, but I, I think it's really hard. And I think that people um, underestimate just how much, you know, that five seconds into that locker can affect someone um, for the rest of their life. You know, and I think the thing that you're saying is so important because a lot of times people think to themselves like, well, why, why aren't I fighting back? And, and, and unfortunately there are other people, you know, maybe friends or well-intentioned family members who are kind of like, well, why didn't you fight back? And, you know, part of it is obviously it's just, it's scary. And people who are bully are, you, you know, who are bullies are usually coming from a place of power. But there's this other part that you just brought up, which is that up until that moment, people who are good natured and open hearted want to be a part of things. You know, if you see someone coming down the hall, coming down the hall, you kind of think to yourself, oh, maybe this is someone who could be a friend. You know, like, you know, maybe they're coming up to me for a good reason. And one of the things that's very tough about being bullied is not just that you're being threatened or you're being put down, but it's like you said, it's like, but you're also not being included. Yeah. And, and that pain of, of still wanting to be included somehow can also make it such a confusing situation because it's like, why do I want to be included with these like bad people? But up until they started doing that stuff, they weren't necessarily bad people to you. They were, they were just a whole group. Of, there was a whole bunch of people that you wanted to connect with. And that part can be very, very confusing in terms of how do you think about it and what do you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that um, <clears throat> it becomes really challenging to keep an open mind and to keep an open heart about people in general, especially when you've had those experiences where you assume the best and you assume that someone's a good person and they show you that they're not very quickly. Um, it just makes it harder as you meet more people in your life, you become that sort of closed off version of yourself. Um, you know, I think um, for me, I became very defensive and I didn't really want to get to know anyone new. I didn't want to let anyone into my life because I was afraid of, you know, those people turning into, um, you know, the people who are doing all those bad things. So it, it really does have kind of this weird domino effect of, you know, one bad person can make you question 10 good ones. And um, it's really hard. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, like when, when I was growing up, I don't know if people still read the outsiders, but it's like, you know, the stay gold pony boy kind of, uh, you know, concept of like, it's so hard when there are these bad things happening to you to stay open hearted. And, and, and we don't even know that that's the real struggle. You know, this idea of like, you know, and, I, and I've seen, I've seen people I grew up with, I've seen it myself, I've seen it people I work with, where they don't realize that the main thing that they, they have to do in this moment is just not become this person who doesn't believe anymore, that doesn't believe that there are good people out there, that doesn't believe that they're worthy of connection, that they can actually have the life that they want. You know, people focus so much like, well, how do I get them back? Or how do I stop this? That there's that other process that you don't realize is happening where you start to think it's like, you know, things aren't gonna work out for me, which is so dangerous. Yeah, um, I think, you know, getting onto that topic of things aren't going to work out to me for me, you know, I, I fell into a very sort of deep um, depression at about 13 or 14 when all of this was going on. Um, and, you know, now I know looking back and it's something I still struggle with to this day. Um, there were a lot of different variables that sort of played into that, but it was even harder, you know, suffering, you know, with, with depression, I've had anxiety since I was a really, you know, little kid, like five or six years old. Um, and it made it even harder to sort of, um, stay grounded and, and stay open-minded. And, you know, it's, you brought up the outsiders. I actually did read that book in I think eighth or ninth grade, I don't really remember it so well now. Um, but I did read the book and that stay gold, uh, you know, line is, is, um, super important. I have a lot of references in my uh, music about taking a heart of gold and turning it into stone or turning it into plastic, because I feel that that's really what happens sort of as we, um, you know, get older and, and go through things, you know, 
you look at kids and they're so open-minded. They don't question anything. They're, you know, just very loving. And then you look at adults and they're, they're jaded. They're, you know, they're really aware um, of their environment and their circumstances. And I think that um, we are sort of conditioned as people, as, as, as we get older to start looking for, um, you know, signs of, um, someone, we, we almost start looking for the bad as opposed to, you know, looking for the good. It's almost like you want to find those reasons really early on to dislike the person or to get rid of them or things like that. And I just think it's, it's so ironic, um, that we start, you know, as these little innocent creatures. And then by the time we're older, um, our mindset is completely shifted. Well, you know, and it makes sense to some degree. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, imagine what that was like. It's like, so you're, you're, you're experiencing fear in different points with anxiety. You're, you're now having this depression. So like internally, you couldn't necessarily just kind of retreat into your own self and sort of be like, oh, okay, I can be okay here because there's, there's fear, there's, there's depression. Then there's outside. And all of a sudden it's like, I'm seeing this bullying, maybe feeling isolated from people. You know, what? How, at, at the age of 13, you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, I, people who are, who are older can't manage to be open-hearted through that. And it kind of makes sense that at that point, it's like, well, if this is how it is, I might as well, you know, turn my attention to sniffing out those situations rather than assume that this thing's gonna happen that everybody keeps telling me about. I mean, I see all these people around, they all seem to be laughing, you know, having, making connections, like not being afraid of things. I guess that could be true, but doesn't feel that way to me. And how, you know, and it's sort of like, why on earth would you be open to that? And I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like how, how did you get out of that? Because that's just a lot. And it's something that unfortunately a lot of people go through and particularly a lot of kids when their teenagers go through? So for me, um, I think the the best way that I can describe sort of getting out of that, um, because so much of the bullying had to do with my um, sexuality and, and my identity and things like that, um, I really found myself gravitating towards um, the LGBTQ plus community. And that's really where I think I healed because all of a sudden I was greeted with all of these people who had the same feelings about, you know, um, themselves that I did. And it opened my mind up again. It opened my heart up to, okay, you know, there's so many people here who have experienced the same things. A lot of them have experienced the same trauma and bullying that I went through in school. And all of a sudden I found this entirely new world of people who I had no idea who were out there, you know, in the moment you feel very alone with something. You know, I was in high school, I was like one of two girls who was openly sort of out. Um, you know, in a school of hundreds. And so that's a really low number. And it takes getting out into the real world to be like, oh, wait a minute, you know, there's a lot of people who feel this way. And, and maybe it's not so, so different. Um, so for me, I think I had to kind of find, find that community and, and, you know, find the people I work with now creatively and musically. And um, that really taught me how to be open minded again, and, and how to trust people and how to um, sort of vet the good from the bad, you know, it's just about, I think, finding that group of people where you do belong and, you know, where they do include you. You know, there's, there's a couple of lines that you, you know, that, that from your music, I just want to make sure I'm getting them right. So tell me if I'm wrong about this, but you know, all the wrong time with all the wrong people. Did I get that right? Is, that the right uh, is it? God, I've, I've written so many songs at this point. Um, I'm okay, thinking, please say that to you. I, 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 I hope I didn't get that wrong. No, um, is it from out of, <laughs> it's out of time? It's from out of time. Did I yeah. write it wrong? I have no idea, quite honestly. I, um, all right, let's just pretend it's all the wrong time with all the wrong. Yeah, let, let's pretend it's that. Um, <laughs> but like, I, uh, yeah, go, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, no, what, regardless of what it is, and it's so funny because I've, I've released, you know, what will be 16 songs this year and at this point, my brain, and I'm working on my second album and my brain is just a, a jumble of, of words at this point. Um, but yeah, Out of Time is really, um, you know, a song about looking back and be like, oh my God, I have wasted so much time on all the wrong things with all the wrong people doing the wrong things. And it was just a reflection of me being like, God, that sucks. You know, it's, it's time that I'll never get back. Um, and God, you know, it was just a realization for me. And, and it's, it's so similar to the pivot that whether it's gender identity, sexuality, race, whatever, whatever makes somebody feel other, mental health issues, shifting that to, oh, it's not normative for me to feel horrible and be rejected. That's not normative. Those are the wrong people. That's the wrong time. And, and, and that pivot, and then this other thing, which I, again, I'm hoping that it's something that you wrote, was like, let the world think bad things and call me bad names. Yeah. Right? Like, okay, that one's definitely, because I, yeah. I, can't, I, can't, I can't sort of hit on, on two of them. That's like, red. Right, and so that idea of, I, I have all this inside of me that feels like it's me. You know, I'm bullied, I'm whatever. And it's like, you know something? It's, you are the wrong people and and go ahead do do what you got to do that that pivot that that one two pivot is so powerful if you can get to that point yeah absolutely you know red was the first song that i ever um openly uh sort of discussed and, and wrote about my sexuality um in a public way and um that song really is one of those things where i just sort of said i was like you know I'm going to be proud of who I am. I have nothing to hide. It's not my problem if you all feel um, differently about it. You know, let the world say bad things and call me bad names. I don't care. I've gotten to a place where I'm happy with myself, you know, because this is who I am. And and um, the only person who has to live with me forever is me. So I have to be um, accepting and, and loving towards myself. So red is very much, um, you know, an anthem for self-acceptance and love more than anything else. One of the things I want to pivot to, if you're okay, is talking about the ongoing kind of mental health regimen you have. Because, you know, we start the conversation by saying, look, we, we don't want these things to just be a black box. You know, we want this to be something that is is more ongoing. And I, and I have to say, and it's, it's not just because Marissa Hargitay is in the video, although that's how it began for me, because <laughs> I am an SVU fan and, and you know, that I, I, I couldn't help myself. But the, the idea of starting with, it's been 93, I thought it was, it was really well written, 93 days, this is not a phase. This is not a phase. Like that beginning of where you start to acknowledge the fact that there's something going on mental health wise that is is more than just like oh because that's 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 how the stigma of mental illness sometimes like, oh get over it you're you're just sad or you're just a little nervous it'll be fine it's like no something going on here and i thought that was a very powerful way of starting for people the conversation of it's it's not this black box anymore let's let's look at it now yeah, um, you know, I, I think one of the hardest things about mental health in general is it's not something that anyone can see. You know, you break a leg, you break an arm, it's an injury that people can see on the surface and therefore it's easier for them to process and justify and they can see that you're hurting. Mental health, on the other hand, it's all sort of on the inside. And if you're not someone who struggles with it, um, which, you know, not everyone does, um, and then some people struggle to a really great degree with it. Um, it's it's really hard, I think, to communicate to the world what it's like. Um, you know, for me, I went through a long time with even my close friends and family, and they were like, I, I don't understand. You know, you're just sad right now, and, and you're going to feel better. And I was like, no, you don't get it. You know, this is something that I deal with um, all the time, every day. Um, and it, it doesn't go away. You know, there are times where, yeah, I feel a little bit better, but it's, it's still there, you know, under the surface. Um, 
So I think, yeah, it's, it's really important for me to bring to light that this is not just something um, that anyone sort of chooses to um, chooses to have or chooses to do. You know, I think a lot of people it's easy to say, oh, you know, they just want attention. They just want this. They just want that. Sure, maybe in some cases, but I think for a lot of people, uh, they're really struggling. And it's in a way that, um, you know, it's hard to understand because it is internal. Um, you know, for me, I can't even tell you, like, I have so many times where I look back on my life and people are like, oh, my God, you were struggling that bad at that time period. And it was just I learned how to sort of mask the entire thing. Um, and it's it's really hard. And I I struggle every day with how do we bring more awareness to this topic, because I just don't think um, we're quite there yet with, um, you know, people understanding it. And, and, you know, one of the things that's so tough about that is that it's like being invited into this collusion, you know, wouldn't it be great, you know, and, and people do it with bullying too. It's like, oh, you know, kids just like to tease or like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And like, oh, you'll get over it. It's just a phase. And it's like, you know something, it would be so great if that were true. And don't you think that if that were true, I would want nothing more than for it to be true. Like how, how wonderful would, like life be for people who are bullied if it was just a little teasing how wonderful would it be for people who struggle with their mental health for it to just be a phase and so it's almost like you're being invited into something that it would be great but it's like but it's not because as soon as we then say oh it's just that it might you might think it feels better because you can rest now that like oh uh, i'm okay but now we've just minimized it now we've invalidated ourselves and that goes down such a dark path of avoidance and suppression and confusion that it's just sort of like yeah no I, I wish I could tell you but it, it's not and we need to start with that as the accepted state of reality absolutely I um <laughs> I can't even tell you how many days you know I'll, I'll wake up and be like god why do I feel like this you know if only I could just feel good for, for one day. Like it, it just sucks. Um, and you know, it's, you learn how to live with it. It's the cards you're dealt. And, um, you know, I have plenty of things that I do, um, on a day-to-day -day basis to try to feel better and to try to take care of myself and things like that. But, um, you know, it really is hard. And I think it, it varies, um, from person to person and situation to situation. Um, but, um, it's, it's tough for sure. And I think that, uh, a lot of people do sort of have that that misconception that it is a phase and it goes away when in reality the people who struggle with it know that it's not and they know that it's you know something they have to accept now different people have different mental health regimens that work for them and you kind of reference that you do some things if you feel comfortable what what tends to work for you in an ongoing way um, so I've got a couple of things. Um, maybe the first one that I think is, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a bit weird is I have a dog. Um, his name is Bentley. Um, he was a, uh, sort of gift from my mom, right. In between that 13 to 14, you know, age period of my life. And my mom and I have this joke. She's like, you know, if you have a child who's struggling, buy them a puppy. And I got to tell you, you know, Bentley, when he was this little teeny thing, he comes home, he's like two pounds. And my mom hands him to me and um, all of my self-hate turned into love for this little dog, you know? And it was so, it was so weird to me. I had no idea that, you know, caring for something else could teach me sort of how to love myself. Um, so, you know, if I'm ever having a really bad day, I'll go walk Bentley, I'll go sit with him. Sometimes we even talk, you know, he has nothing to say back to me, but, um, you know, I, I have a real safe space there with him and, and he's a sweetheart. And I think that animals are great for people who struggle with mental health. Um, you know, I try to spend as much time working on my craft and, you know, working with people I love and respect because I think that always makes me feel better. Um, my hardest days are the days where I don't have a ton to do and I've got a lot of time to think. So I try to occupy my time um, with really productive things. Um, I also think maybe the, maybe the biggest one for me is anytime I'm feeling down or having a bad day, I like to um, in some, some way or form, 
express how I'm feeling, whether that's through makeup, whether that's through, you know, um, doing a painting or whatever, maybe it's through putting on some sort of crazy outfit that's representing how I feel. Sometimes I think that having a visual representation for yourself of how you feel is a way of um, validating yourself. And it always makes me feel better when I'm like, okay, you know, I can uh, put on some crazy eye look today and that's how I feel. And I'm expressing it to the world and I'm validating it for myself. Yeah. You know, you're talking about so many different things and, and I just want to highlight that, you know, whether it's being productive or, or doing something like you say, that feels out of the ordinary for what your daily routine is, that concept of connecting in with yourself, you know, when you have things that feel like they're you, whatever, whatever that is, they're authentically you connecting in with that. And, and I think that idea of like, I'm going to do something, you know, a lot of times when people, you know, come down, like, you know, parents, kids who have like a different out, you know, kind of an outrageous outfit on, you're like, what are you, like, what are you doing? And like, to kind of think it's like, you know, something like, sometimes you just need to, to get it out in the world somehow that, that there's something going on. And, and, you know, for us to not judge that or be like, well, because that's different, it's problematic. Um, you know, that idea that like, yeah, like there's something, there's something going on and, and it's good if you're feeling a little bit off that day to, to express it in some ways, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, my, <laughs> the rainbow is so much a part of who I am and, and my brand as an artist and as a person. And it's funny, it's sort of the way I dress, um, a lot of times is in a very sort of monochromatic form. Like I'll dress in, in one color today. I have on something totally tie dye. Um, and it's become sort of this very subtle message between, um, me, uh, my mom, my girlfriend, my friends, my, my fans, whoever it is, where it's like, you know, if I'm wearing a bright orange outfit, you know, everyone knows, okay, great. Grace is having a great day. She's in a wonderful mood. She's in a good place. And that's true. And then, you know, I have days where I'm wearing darker colors, like a purple or a gray or a black. And it's like almost every time without fail, when I, come downstairs and I'm wearing one of those darker colors, my mom or my girlfriend will be like, is everything okay today? You know, like they, they sort of initiate that conversation. Um, and it's funny because it became a little bit of a way for me to be like, this is how I'm feeling today without having to explicitly say, guys, I'm sad today. Like I'm having a hard day, you know? Um, so I think, I think it's kind of cool to have something like that. I literally struggle to not wear black. Uh, I think you just, I, th I think I just maybe figured out why. Cause I, I literally like when I wear something that's not black, I, I, I'm like, I don't know. This doesn't, you know, this doesn't feel right. I, I, have, I have to look into that a little bit based on what you just said. Yeah. But it just feels, I don't know. It feels right all the time for some reason. But yeah. you know, the thing about the, the, the dog though, that I also just want to highlight that I think is so important is that for so many people, the opportunity to turn the attention outward. And I, I don't think, I think a lot of times when people are struggling with their mental health, they get tagged with the, oh, you're just seeking attention, mm -hmm. you know, label. And it's like, just because our distress, you know, commands your attention doesn't mean that that's the point of why we're doing it. You know, like we, we're just as alarmed by what we're going through as you are. And yeah. it's not meaning like the point of it isn't like, hey, I'm going to have a panic attack so you could pay attention to me. It's like we're both paying attention to the same panic attack, yeah. you know, and I, I kind of always want to say to people, it's like people who struggle with mental health issues do not want to do that to get people's attention. I mean, I know that sometimes there's like secondary benefits of like if people are being ignored, like there's something, but that's not generally speaking what is happening. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to get that in. But the idea of looking, putting your attention elsewhere can sometimes be very gratifying, like helping someone else can really have a healing effect. If only just to take the, to take the, 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 the attention off of how difficult our experience is at a given time. And when it's a dog, I mean, dogs, you said before, it's weird that it's an animal. I, I don't think that's weird at all. What, what creatures are just constantly there for love no matter what you're going through no matter what outfit you're wearing no matter what you've been through they just want to come up to you and they just want to love and be loved and yep. that is so precious yeah no i mean he's 
Bentley's great. Um, he's my best medicine for sure. Um, I, I'm a big believer that sometimes when you're having a really hard time, channeling that energy elsewhere or turning it into, you know, um, love for something or someone else um, is a really great way to deal with it. You know, just getting back to Black Box for a second, even though it was a very traumatic experience for me, that whole sort of um, stage of my life, it ended up being a very healing one too, because I felt like through that project, I was going to help a lot of other people. And so that was a way for me to sort of take that pain and hurt that I was feeling and channel it elsewhere and turn it into love and support for, you know, the next generation of, you know, kids who are going to come up and maybe deal with the same things that I did. So um, I think that's, that's important to note as well. Well, Grace, Liz, it's been so great talking with you. I think artistically in terms of advocacy, you're doing so many amazing things and uh, you got such a bright future ahead of you. You didn't need me to tell you that, but I'm sure others have told you that, but it's um, congratulations on everything that's happened. And I look forward to, you know, watching your career grow and uh, hope we get a chance to talk again at some point. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Mike. This was uh, great. And I really enjoyed our conversation. So there it is, Grace Gaustad talking about her experience with being bullied and the effect that that experience had on her mental health. There is so much that we can take away from the conversation with Grace. But one of the things that is so powerful about Grace's work, both as an artist and as a mental health advocate, is her black box concept. This again is the idea that we keep so much of our mental health struggles locked away, hidden from others, and sometimes even hidden from ourselves. And just like the black box of a plane that's crashed, sometimes we don't look at how we or someone else is doing until there is a catastrophe. And I think this concept is so universal for teens, but really for any of us at any age. So many of us have a secret pain that we try to understand and cope with alone. Maybe we feel ashamed or confused by who we are, what has happened in our lives or what we've been through. And this is where the damage of struggling with something like mental illness becomes even more powerful and more dangerous, because this is where we twist ourselves into knots trying to avoid who we are, our pain, and our struggles in the hopes that they will all go away. But it just gets worse. We don't get closer to peace. We just get more and more isolated from ourselves and others and more lost. And that's why it's so important that people like Grace step up and try to address this issue. And if you feel that you are struggling, please reach out in some way. It can be as simple as listening to music that you identify with or reading about mental health, but hopefully you can reach out to someone, a helpline, a friend, a family member, or a mental health professional to get the care you need. Grace talked about how her reaching out to members of the LGBTQ community was so powerful and helpful for her. Whatever it is that makes us feel connected and less alone, like we are not trapped and not isolated in a black box, is so important for our ongoing mental health and well-being. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at the Crossroads. 